Thanks for listening to this message brought to you by Cornerstone Christian Church. Amen. All right, let's go to the book of Romans, the 8th chapter. I'm going to preach for a little bit. I really got something burning in my heart, though, and I really hope we get this. I'm, st- I'm trying to get it. And, um, and so, uh, but I believe it's something the Lord is really, really wanting to uh, place in our heart. How many knows a while back? Uh, was I was it I not here last I can't remember when I, I was not here Sunday was I last Sunday was I not in pulpit last Sunday I can't remember man time's running anyhow I was gone one Sunday I was preaching somewhere else and um but um I had been on a thing you remember uh I guess it's been about a month ago or so now or a little maybe a little longer about the Lord just uh spoke about uh retooling the ship in my spirit and so I've been preaching on uh different types of uh ships I've been preaching on worship um, uh, what I preached on uh, membership, man, that thing's really still burning in me. And I had to really make myself, I was really wanting to preach that again Wednesday night. And uh, I said, Lord, they done heard it twice, but I mean, it's really just burning in me about what it really means to be a member. And, um, I just believe all that stuff where we've just done in the past, you know, we got a church roll out there and your name's on the church roll. There's so much more to it than that. You follow what I'm saying? It's about finding your place, finding life where every joint supplies, you getting in your place and then the grace of God upon your life and that just how it just fuels when you're in your place. You follow what I'm saying? And God has a place for every one of us. And then, you know, if you read um, in Corinthians uh, 12 where Paul's talking about the body, it says that God chooses the body which he places in. So really it ain't like you know, you got some people. I heard um, a guy say one time, um, I believe it was Pastor Dale said this. Somebody called here years ago and wanted to know if this was a brick church that they wanted to go to a brick church. There's far more important things to choose in a church than just what it's in. You with me now? You want to know if the, <laughs> the power of God's in that place, the heart of it, heart of that leadership, and all of that. But God chooses and places us in a body, and when He places us in that body, He expects us to get in that place. And and all all the thing about church. When we say it's it, it's a family, what it is about is it's, it's about doing life together. It's about it's about doing life together, and uh, and if you were here last night, man, at that fiftieth wedding anniversary, I mean, it was just amazing. And uh, that's that's life. That's doing life together. Okay, I discipline myself to get off of that and preach what I'm going to preach this morning. But so this morning, I want to talk about sonship. Okay, and so that's what I'm going to preach about this morning. So let's go to the book of Romans, the eighth chapter. And I want to talk about uh, sonship. And um, by the way, if you ever want to read a book, uh, I don't really highlight books or whatever, but I'm going to tell you, this book changed my life. And it's, uh, it's called uh, Out of Slavery into Sonship by Jack Frost. It is an amazing, amazing book. And I'm telling you, listen to me. One of the things, and we've heard a lot about this in, the, in the, probably the last two or three years, about the orphan heart and the orphan spirit. Um, you know, uh, it's amazing that if you really, if you read that book, he'll give you a contrast in there about an orphan heart versus a son's heart. And when I read that, I'm going to be honest with you, I failed the test that he had in there. And it's amazing how much that we really don't um, really see God as Abba Father. But the deal is, according to Romans chapter 8, you and I have been adopted into the family of God whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And there was a huge um, sonship movement. We've heard a lot about sons. And what I want to talk about this morning is instead of you being a son, really to a spiritual leader, 
first of all, you've got to realize you're a son of God. And if you don't have that sonship with your heavenly father, you can never have it with your spiritual father. You with me? So let's do that. How many is real cold right here at the front? Can you, you work with us? Y'all cold? It is kind of blowing ice, and I got a good bit of insulation right here. Work with me on this front one right here. So let's look at this in Romans chapter 8. Um, I think they pull it down like Ken and them pulls it down because they don't get no air up there. So they freeze us all out, you know, when we quit jumping around and shouting and hanging from the chandeliers, we, uh, we get cold. All right, let's look right here. Um, let's look at verse 12. Therefore, brethren, I'm in Romans chapter 8, verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Look at verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage or the spirit of slavery again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We did not receive the spirit of slavery, but we have received what? The spirit of what? Sonship. The spirit of adoption. Where the Father has adopted me into his household, and now as a son, everything that the Father has, now I have. Everything that the Father has, now I have. And I have to, I'm going to preach off of this quote that, listen, sons serve, servants, or when I use the word servant, I'm going to talk about us serving, but when I'm saying like this, uh, this servant, um, I'm talking about a servant mindset. Are you with me now? Uh, we want to have a servant's heart, but not a servant mindset. There's a difference in that. See, the servant never really sees ownership in a house. He, he never feels like he's been adopted in. He, he doesn't belong, really. He's just an outcast, the black sheep, if you will. So he always feels like he's in the land of lack. He's always afraid if Dusty gets blessed and he stole the blessing, there's not enough. And the real deal is, is our Father has enough to bless every one of our socks off. And because Christy gets blessed, it does not, it does not uh, take away from his resources. He's got the cattle on a thousand hills. We can never exhaust his resources and that, and that orphan heart makes us feel like because Billy's business got blessed, now mine can't get blessed. But the real deal is, is he wants to bless, it all, bless us all. That's the whole deal in Luke chapter 15. The older son saw that the younger son took his, but the real deal is, is he divided both of their inheritance at one time. All right, and so I'm going to use this right here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to talk about this. So listen, servants serve for identity. Servants serve for identity, but sons serve from identity. That's good right there. That's worth the dollar you just put in the plate. Come on now. Servants serve for identity, but sons serve from identity. See, if you do what you do, if you get your identity from doing what you do, you will always be compelled to use your gift to get your identity. 
If you're prophetically bent, you'll be compelled to prophesy because you get your fix and your identity, you think, comes from prophesying. But if you get your identity, listen, if you get your identity from your father knowing I am a son, and if I prophesy, I'm still his son. If I don't prophesy, I'm still his son. I can't get my identity from preaching, nor can you get yours from whatever your gift is. You get your identity from your father. Before Jesus ever healed the sick, before he ever raised the dead, before he ever defeated the devil when he was baptized in the river Jordan, God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You have to believe that the father is pleased with you regardless if you read your Bible last night or if you didn't, he's pleased with us. I said he's pleased with us. I said the Father is pleased with us. Well, you don't understand my life, preacher. You don't understand the sin that I got in my life. I'm telling you that the Father is not angry with us this morning, that he is pleased with us. you got to understand that the cross changed everything in the perspective of how God views us. God poured out all of his wrath and anger of the sin of the world. Well, God's really getting tired of the gay rights and all the home. No, listen. God poured all of that anger on Jesus at the cross. If we would quit judging and start showing the love of our Father, probably a lot of His love would reach through and reach beyond that sin. Love covers a multitude of sin. Hello? Listen, if you live by the praises of men, you will die by the criticisms of men. That's good. If you live by the praises of men, surely you will die by the criticisms of men. We got to serve. We got to learn how to serve from a place that we're not getting our identity because of what I do. I get my identity because of who I am. I'm God's son in whom he's well pleased. He's infatuated with me. He loves me. He wants to do good to me. He is not here to harm me, but he's got an expected end for my life. His thoughts are good towards me this morning. God is excited about me. I'm his son in whom he is well pleased. I don't have to, I don't have to give 400 Bible lessons. I don't have to fast 40 days a year. It doesn't matter. I'm God's son in whom he's well pleased. Now all of that will come, all of the, listen, we've tried to make the Christian disciplines our identity. That is not my identity. That is the fruit out of my love relationship to him. It's quiet up in here. Now, let's go on right here to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. If you can get this right here, what I'm fixing to tell you right here, this will be worth the drive. John chapter 13. As a son, listen to me, as a son, I don't have to live this life like a beggar begging him to do something for me. Notice how when we pray prayers of healing, we beg God, God, would you please? God, would you please do this? 
all things we have access to this morning. I was listening to a preacher the other day, and this is what he said. He said, what if we lived our life in the spiritual realm the way that Bill Gates lives his life in the physical realm? He had to quit work to spend the rest of his time figuring out how he's going to give all of his money away. In the spiritual realm, we don't lack anything. Show me a time in the Gospels where Jesus panicked because they were lacking. Show me a time in the Gospels where he experienced lack and he could not do something about it. When Peter had to pay taxes, what did Jesus do? He did not panic. Oh my gosh, the taxes is due. <laughs> Come on. He told Peter, go down there to a pond, cast your line out. You're going to catch a fish. When you open his mouth, there'll be a shekel inside of his mouth. You take care of your taxes and my taxes too. He was a son connected to his father with an unlimited realm of unlimited resources. There was never a point in his time in his life where he said, oh my God, we're going to do without. How many times do you and I feel like we're going to do without? Am I the only one in this room? How many times do we let fear move us to a place like we have no connection point, like, like we don't have no Father in Heaven that's going to take care of us? Listen, how many knows when Jesus had 5,000 men not counting women and children that was pressing Him and listening to Him preach all day? He didn't have no bottled water. And, he, and, and His disciples said, Lord, let's send them away. They're hungry. We've got to send them home. Let them, let them go to the house. But He said, you give them something to eat. Now that's an impossible. Jesus said, you do something about what you see. Listen, God has done everything He's going to do for us when He put Jesus on the cross and He expects us to rise up in our place of sonship and do something about what we see happening in our society and our community. Lord, Religion always puts it off in the future or the past, but it never brings him present. So Jesus takes, there's a young boy with a few fish, and um, he must have been a fisherman like myself. He only had a few fish, and he had a loaf of bread, a few pieces of bread. Jesus takes the bread and the fish, and he looks upward to the unlimited realm, and he breaks the limitations that earth has. Are you with me now? He breaks the limitations off the fish and the loaves, and he feeds 5,000 men, not counting women and children. Now, let's look at this. In, uh, in John chapter 13, listen to this. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hand. As a son, you got to know that everything that the Father possesses, He's now given into your hands. Knowing all things that the Father had given into His hands, and that what? He had come from God and was going, and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside His garments, took a towel and girded Himself. And after he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he was girded with. Now, before Jesus ever served, he had two things in place. Number one, he knew that all that the Father had was in his possession. Number two, he knew that he came from God and he was going back to God. 
This is when he gathers a towel and a basin. Let me tell you how we've done it in the past. What we've done in the past as a church, we have served the community, but we've served them for something in return. We serve them and say, we want to do this for you, but if you can just attend three or four services with us, now we can come through on our promise. We can help you with your light bill, but you've got to come to two or three services. We serve looking for something in return. But if we had the position that we knew that we came from God and we was going to God, we could serve looking for nothing in return, knowing that our Heavenly Father sees what is done in secret and He shall reward us openly. Jesus, I heard Bill say this, that he said, we've got to learn how to serve. Does she heard this? What he's, he said, we've got to serve. We rule with the heart of a servant, but we serve with the heart of a king. Knowing this, that everything that the Father has given me is not to benefit myself. All of your gifting, all of your talent is not to benefit you. The Spirit of God is in you for you, but He comes upon you for somebody else. And the problem is, is we felt like all of His resources, all of His talents, He's given to me to build me. He's never given it to build me. He's given it to be a beneficiary of whoever's in my circle of sphere. So here's the deal. Listen to this. We... Sons are faithful to build the house. Servants are looking to build a ministry. Sons see a community. Sons see a community. Servants see their church. If we, if we would move into this heart of sonship when we hear that uh, the Methodist church over here just baptized 40 new believers, we could rejoice with them knowing that the kingdom of God is being built and extended. And regardless if he don't build my church, listen, Jesus ain't really concerned about building cornerstone. He's concerned about building his kingdom and he needs people that is focused on the kingdom and not so much focused on our church. Sons are faithful to build the kingdom while servants want to build the church and the ministry. Because we get our identity. If we got a big ministry, we feel successful and we get our fix on that. Listen, we've got to move beyond that and get our fix just on his presence, delighting in his presence, and that's all the proof we need. It's like Leonard Ravenhill said, when we bow our knee before God, we don't have to bow it before nobody else because him, he's the one that we came to worship. He's the one that called me. Not Ken didn't call me. Steve didn't call me. God called me. He's the one that I'm set out to please. Father, give this. Build this into us. Sons build the kingdom. They build a house while servants long to build a ministry. When I was, I'm still young, I'm only 36, but when I was in my early 20s, or um, probably around 20, every time when I, I was a part of a denomination then, and when we would go to a, um, a camp meeting or whatever, all the preachers were concerned about how many numbers we're running. Listen, numbers don't mean nothing. You can put a, you can put a thousand small fish in here, or you can put a hundred large fish in here. I would rather have a hundred large fish than a thousand small fish that can't do nothing and a hundred big fish that can move heaven when we need it moved. Yes. Are you with me now? 
That is not determined success. Do you think large ministries determine success? Here's, let me give you a funny scripture in the Bible. I believe it's in Genesis chapter 31, somewhere wrong in there. It says that Joseph, he was sold as a slave. He was butt naked sitting in the city square with handcuffs on, sold as a slave. And it says the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. See, America defines success by how much is in our bank account. That does not determine your spirituality, friend. Hello. Come on, somebody. What you have in the bank does not determine your spirituality. And as we've got to readjust our thinking, we thought true riches was Bentleys. We thought it was nice suits. We thought it was big houses and big cars. That is not true riches. True riches is that you have a, you have a great marriage of 50 years like we saw last night. True riches is that you can lay your hands on the sick and see them recover. That is something that money cannot buy. If the Lord is with you, you are a successful man. Regardless of what you got in your bank account, what somebody else thinks about you, if you got the smile. If the Lord is with you, you are a successful man. Now, let's go on. Sons put the family first. They use language of we and us. While servants use the language of they put issues first and use the language of me, I, and they. Sons put the family first and use language of we. They see a team. Servants only see themselves. They sit in the house, what can this place do for me? While son says, what can I do for this place? You with me? Sons model poor in spirit and are teachable. Servants usually arrive at the house fully grown or at least in their own eyes. My God, that's good. Sons model poor in spirit. Poor in spirit has nothing to do with finances. Poor in spirit realizes that I have a deep need for God. They model that even though things maybe look great on the outside, yet they live with a deep awareness of, man, I, I really got to have God. You know, I look at, I love to watch like anything to do with Heidi Baker. Um, I love to read her books. I like to watch the DVDs or just the clips that she's got on YouTube uh, over in Africa. And they model that poor in spirit so well that they have to have God. And, you know, I watched her on a, um, on a clip or whatever, and they were talking about, you know, just want to know if she struggled. Do you struggle uh, uh, living, you know, do, she was in the States or whatever, doing a conference or whatever. And they were, she said, do you struggle just living in that dirt? Do you struggle living in that dirt? And she said, no, I only struggle when I'm here in the States. I don't struggle when I'm at home. Because, see, we got plan A, we got plan B, and we got plan C. She's got just plan C. That's Christ. They model a deep need for God. You and I are living in the land of luxury. Some kind of way we've got to balance this thing out with living in the land of blessing, yet realizing we have such a deep need for God. 
There's nothing wrong with the blessing, but sometimes the blessing makes us comfortable. And, and God never promised comfortable. Are you with me now? He never promised he, he would make us comfortable. He only promised that he would be with us even to the end. And so some kind of way we've got to balance this prosperity message out that we, we, we preach and we've told the people just come to Jesus. He'll give you everything you need and we sold them really a bag of goods. We didn't really tell them that there would be hardship. If Paul was preaching today, most of our preachers would look and say there must be some kind of sin in his life. Look, he's in prison. But yet the, the, he said this, that these chains have not come to hinder the gospel, but they've come to further the gospel. We've lost the message of suffering in the United States. But listen, if we will suffer with him, we will rise in glory with him. Hello? I'm not talking about suffering through sickness. I'm talking about suffering for the righteous message of a holy God. That's the suffering we endure. We, look, we, we endure the hardship of what it costs us to live this thing out. We ain't heard that message. People don't come and give money and flock to the message of suffering. But if we shared his suffering, we shall also share in the glory of his resurrection. And there's something about a hidden power uh, that, and a glory that is in suffering. I ain't heard a message preached on that in a while. We like everything's going to be great. Living right along. Orphans see God as master whom they must appease continually. The orphan heart will burn you completely out because you cannot never do enough. You can't do enough. You can't read the Bible enough. You can't, you can't give up enough. It's, it's a feeling of condemnation of every time you come to worship God. Sons do not feel condemned. They rest in the love and acceptance that Father gives to us. Do you know that the last major wave of revival, the, the last major quake probably was the Toronto Blessing? There's probably been some minor quakes since then. But what was that revival like? See, when we saw Brownsville break out, what was that? That was really the holiness of God broke out down in Brownsville. I mean, they were soul saved. I mean, flooding to the altars. And then here you got, I mean, there was a lot of weeping and wailing in Brownsville. And then it looks like you got the total opposite of the spectrum that breaks out in Toronto where people's laughing. And people get, you know, and a lot of the church got ticked off that people were laughing up there in Toronto. What they would rather have is depressed rather than joy. But the fruit of the Spirit, listen, the kingdom of God is what joy peace and righteousness in the Holy Ghost. There's joy. If we got a kingdom message, there should be a lot of joy in the house of the Lord. I said if we got a kingdom message, the king and his kingdom's here, there should be a lot of joy in the house of the Lord. But each movement comes, and, and the problem is, is we get our eyes on the manifestation, but don't get your eyes on the manifestation. Each movement comes to bring or reveal a truth that has been lost in the body. That's what revival does. It comes to reestablish a truth that the church has lost. And so what Father was doing in Toronto is they labeled that revival the Toronto Blessing. 
And when John Arnett found out that they coined the phrase that it was the Toronto blessing, that he, he immediately called them and said, this is not the Toronto blessing, but this is the Father's blessing. And what God was trying to reestablish inside the body of Christ is that he is Abba Father and he wants us to enjoy him and enjoy his presence. And we have access to him like that. See, religion, it, it, really, it really just fuels the orphan heart to say, man, what can I do? I, re- I just, I, I got to serve God with everything in me. There's, there's, that, that is a good place to have it in your heart if you're doing it for the right motives. A lot of people that are fueled by the orphan heart are really proud of their Christian disciplines. I fast two days a week. The Pharisees fasted two days a week also, but they couldn't move heaven. And I told you this that I mean I used to I used if I was we we went to church we attended uh, there for maybe five years or whatever and I was on staff there that we did service at three o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday and so I remember the first time that I went I was asked to go hunting on a Sunday morning I was like man I don't know about that I mean Sunday's Lord's Day you know there is nowhere in the Bible I've searched it from maps to maps where it says you can't fish on Sunday. Hello. Fish still bite on Sunday. Deer still walk on Sunday. In the line of sight and drop dead on Sunday. I've issued several parking tickets on Sunday morning. Listen to me. The son, the son is absolutely free in his relationship with God. He walks in a joy and a freedom that just makes religious people totally ticked off. I go back and I refer, and Ken and Christian know this lady a lot, that I remember that with the first time I met Janice. And she was just like, I mean, she was just like carefree. And, 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 and the first time I ever went to their church where they were at in Jessup, they had all the kids down the front. The kids was, you know, sword fighting with flags and all this. I said, first of all, somebody needs to bring some order up in this church. <laughs> I was sitting there. I was so uptight. I said, hey, this church is out of order right here. First of all, them kids don't need to be up there like that. Listen, how many knows Jesus said to his disciples, he said, you suffer not them kids to come unto me. Actually, them kids was actually teaching my uptight rare end how to worship God. Because they were totally free. See, a kid don't care what somebody else is thinking about them. You and I care what our neighbor's thinking about us, and that inhibits us to really worship God. Listen, you remember when Peter was delivered from prison? He walked through four gates. The last thing that he said out of his mouth, he said, for surely God has delivered me from the expectation of people. When we get delivered from what somebody thinks about us, that's when we'll really start worshiping God. Hello? He said, for surely God has delivered me from the expectation of the Jews. So we don't want to lift our hands. Well, I don't, you know, I don't really know what they think about me lifting my hands. The Bible says, live holy hands unto the Lord. It says, shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph. It says, to praise him in the dance. I've heard that, 2 Samuel 6, 14, where David danced before the Lord because he was filled with the Spirit. There ain't no way in the world he was filled with the Spirit because Jesus Christ hadn't went to the cross. The Spirit of God was upon him and he danced. Sometimes I have found this. You've got to, well, someone said, well, I, I just don't want to be in the flesh. Let's face it, friend, you're going to be in the flesh till you die. When I grew up in the Pentecost, we were so scared to be in the flesh. 
They're in the flesh. Listen, you are all in the flesh. If you in the spirit, walk through the wall right here and show us you in the spirit. But you in the flesh. Run hard. I want you to run wide open. I'm going to show you you're in the flesh. You're in the flesh. What you have to do, what I found out a lot of times when I come in to worship God, is a lot of times I don't feel like really worshiping Him. So I start out in the flesh. By faith, I get behind this pulpit, and if you see me in the community and I don't know you, I probably won't say a word to you, and how can I preach an hour? I start out in the flesh, and something supernatural comes on me called the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But you got to start out by faith. Hello. I believe David started out by faith just dancing because he was excited that the glory was now coming back to Jerusalem. Sometimes you dance and wave the flag by faith and then the anointing comes on what you're doing. All right. Orphans see God as master. Lord, I feel so dirty. I've been three days, three days, I've been spending time with my family and children and ain't read the Bible. I can't, I just, I'm telling you, I just don't know if I can, I don't know if I can. The Bible says pray without ceasing. How do you pray without ceasing? Do you quit your job and stay in prayer? How do you pray without ceasing? It's a lifestyle that you live. How many's ever heard of Smith Wigglesworth, the great healing evangelist? According to his, uh, to uh, um, uh, what you call it, where is it an autobiography when somebody writes about him? Uh, according to um, who, who was the guy that uh, said this? Huh? A biography. All right. Said that Smith Wigglesworth never prayed longer than fifteen minutes but he said he never went 15 minutes without praying. As a son, it's about this, that you're constantly aware about the Father and everything you're doing. You can be on the bow of the boat throwing a fishing lure and you're constantly aware of the Father. You own your job, but you're constantly aware of the Father. Another great book called Practicing the Presence by Dr. Dr. Lawrence, Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence was a monk, and he was actually a tater pillar. And people would travel all around to see the glory of God upon his life. And only thing he did is this is what he said. He said, I live my life with my mind and my conscience totally focused on the Lord. At any point that I felt my mind or my conscience starting to veer or my heart starting to something grab the affection of my heart, he said, I would immediately stop and repent and get my focus re redefined on the Father right there. And that's all he did was live his life that way. And the glory of God would just fill a place where he was at. That is what I'm talking about. That is different from religion trying to make us perform. It is, a, it is a something that goes deep in our heart and it is a longing relationship for the Father. Now when you fast, it's because you're totally in love with Him and you say, Father, I'm going to give up this meal today because I just can't wait to hang out with you. Religion comes with pressure to push. Listen, God never push. He always woos. 
I know when I'm being led by him because I don't feel something kicking me in the back. The enemy pushes from the back. Father always woos us in. It's the gentle tug. Listen, I know he knocked Paul down. I'm telling you, there is cases if you can't listen, he can get your attention. Let's move on. Orphans are are independent and self-reliant. They depend on their gifts and talents and anointing. Sons are interdependent. They know their need for community. And the love that the body of Christ offers. I I would just say this about those two statements right there. When orphans lead, when they're senior leaders, their focus is their church and they don't want no interchangeable of churches. I don't know about you, man, but I long for the day. This is what I'm really living for and I hope I see this before I die. I long for the day that there's really such a community of kingdom built in a local city where like Eric Gordon could just be here preaching this morning and I'd be in his church preaching and we'd never miss a beat. That much community. If we really believe kingdom, this is what we've got to get to. This is the, this is, this is the kingdom that I'm longing for, but we have got to learn how to release a lot of heart issues to see something like that happen. Because a lot of times what we're afraid of, well, if I go preach at the assembly, what if, what if three people over from the assembly leave, up, leave there and come here? Or what if you hear Eric and you say, my God, John can't preach a lick, and then you all move to the assembly. We've got to get beyond that. Awful quiet in here. Man, I'll tell you right now, we ain't going to pay you to go over there. Orphans live by the love of the law. Orphans live by the love of the law. Sons live by the law of love. Orphans live by the love of the law. Thou shall not. They're, they're, I can tell you, orphans love the Ten Commandments posted. Man, it's off quiet. Huh? The Ten Commandments changed after the cross. It's, it's quiet up in here. I know y'all fighting to keep the Ten Commandments down at the courthouse, courthouse and the schoolhouse, but they changed after the cross. They changed from commandments to promises. Thou shalt not steal in the old covenant. Huh? Thou shalt not steal in the old covenant. But because of grace it became a promise, you will not steal. Orphans live by the love of the law. Sons live by the law of love. And according to Galatians 5, there is no law against love. It is impossible to displease God when you're operating in love. Sons live with the law of love while orphans live by the love of the law. Thou shalt not. If you don't tithe, listen. This all kind of stuff fit to come on your house. And we preach it. Well, if you tie, listen, your tires are run. Listen, your tires are going to wear out. Your washing machine's still going to tear up if you're tithing or not. 
We got to quit preaching stuff like that. Come on, somebody. Listen, the Old Testament said give 10%. The New Testament, if you go preach it right, said give 100%. So according to the Bible, you give 110%. Not in the book of Acts say that they gave all. Orphans are concerned about dotting every dot, crossing every T. Sons, on the other hand, they're not motivated by crossing all the dots and T's. They're motivated by love. Lord, I don't know. I feel like I got a house of orphans here after preaching this. I'm going to change the name, Cornerstone Orphanage. No, I'm playing. It's an orphanage. Hello. It's, it's amazing how much, I'm telling you, honest to God, it's amazing how much orphan heart is inside of us. But I'm telling you what's going to happen. As true fathers rise up in the body of Christ, they will displace this orphan spirit. They will make us feel loved and connected like never before. They won't use us nor abuse us, and there'll be freedom that those fathers offer. And when that happens, when they rise up and take their place in the body of Christ, it will totally displace this orphan spirit. Because what we've had in the past is we've had fathers that tried to rape us of everything we've had, and what that does is that pushes us into a performance mindset where I want to perform for him so I can be noticed by him. And that only thing just fuels the orphan heart even more. But when true fathers come and say, listen, I'm not to take anything for you I'm in place to be a blessing to you and my main thing about being a father to you is that you reach your potential in Christ and I will do everything I can to lay my life down for you to reach your full potential in Jesus and when that happens it will displace every bit of that orphan thinking and that orphan heart that is in the body of Christ that's good Orphans believe they must be holy to be accepted by God. First of all, let me say this. Holiness is not the way you live. When the Lord said, be holy as I am holy, He's not talking about a lifestyle. He wants you complete, body, soul, and spirit, just as I'm complete. Nothing lacking. The word holy, we think of it as long sleeves. Come on now. No makeup. Thank the Lord for the makeup. Come on now. Huh? Huh? Man, I'm almost going to get sidetracked right here. Just for a second. But you know what's amazing to me? I'm just going to be honest with you. Because I've come from areas with a lot of that, that teaching or whatever. And you would go to those places. Those men would be in the nicest suits. I'm talking about alligator skin shoes. Hair all dolled up. And their wife looked like they drug her behind the truck trying to make it there. She'd be in a, she'd be in a dress that looked like it was seven year old. That don't, that does, man. I'm sorry. Listen. That did, Listen. And then they're going to preach against love. Well, the problem with the lust, because that's the way you treat That's the way our lives are looking. Lay, I better quit. You manicure your own yard, you don't have to be worried about the neighbor's yard. Hello. 
Thank God for the makeup. That does not make her unholy wearing, wearing high heels and got makeup on. We've tried to look at Jezebel like that. Jezebel ain't coming into church like that. He's coming through leadership that is controlling and manipulating far more than he's coming through the short skirt and the rouge. Hello? Jesus said, I want you whole. I want every womb in your soul fixed. I want you mind, body, and spirit completely whole like I'm whole. We've spent decades trying to dress it, trying to live it, trying to do everything we can to be holy. And we need to realize that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is getting the areas fixed in our heart. As we do that, we'll become holy. Almost done here. Put your seatbelt on. We're fixing to land the plane. Orphans believe they must be holy to be accepted by God. Sons want to be holy out of love for their father. I'm just, I want to say one other thing right here. Listen to me. We, well, I, I was talking to this preacher. This was, this was, um, this was during Holy Week. And I, I offended him. And I meant to offend him. And I said, my God, this brother mean. This is what he said. He said, somebody better get to preaching what this Bible says about the way we live. I said, you keep preaching that right there because you will never make somebody stop doing what they're doing out of fear. Whatever you catch them on, that's what you got to keep them on. So if you caught them by scaring them, turning the lights off, telling them about the car wreck that Uncle Joe and Aunt Sally got in on the way home and Uncle Joe wasn't right and Sally went to heaven and Uncle Joe went to hell. If you catch them on that, that's what you got to keep them on. The only thing that will change your life is love. So we preach for years what to say no to. Say no to drinking, whore hopping, and all, the, all these things over here. No. Listen, here's the way we got to start preaching. When you say yes to God, your yes is so strong that it drowns out all the no's. It's my eye has become single now. Are you with me now? The, my eye is focused on him. That is what I see. The world is way over here. It can't catch my eye because I see him. Sin becomes like a third shoe then. You don't know what to do with it because your yes has drowned it out all the nose. Fear will never make us stop. What will make us stop is we start preaching our potential, the new creation of man. See, we, we believe people have gotten saved and we want to talk about the new creation, but yet we preach about everything that the old man desires. You preach about everything that the old man desires. That man don't even exist no more. The new man craves the presence of God. Bring me the presence of God. Tell me what I can do and what I can't. Don't tell me what I can't do. I don't know what I can do. And the yes will drown out all the no's. We will never change a society by telling them fear stories. You will never change them by, you know, I heard, man, I may be wrong right here. Help me, Holy Ghost. He, he'll tell me what I did. I'm, I promise you he will. But listen, somebody said, well, we got to start preaching hell. I believe in hell. Hell's a real place. Are you with me now? But if I preach heaven to you, if you say yes to that, you will never have to be concerned with hell. Hell wasn't never built for you in the first place. Hell was built for the devil and the angels that left with him. Hell was, God never intended you to spend one day in hell. Come on, friend. That's why he sent Jesus to the cross. He gave you an antidote for the sin problem. All you got to do is believe in him with all your heart, confess him 
as Lord turn around from that turn to him. When you turn to him, you just did that. Sin's back there. Now just walk forward. That's it. If you got struggles, all you got to do is keep walking and displace that orphan heart because you failed to believe you're disqualified. If you failed, that don't mean you're disqualified. The Bible says the righteous falls seven times, but he gets up again. There's grace. Do y'all believe what I'm preaching? Has anybody besides me ever fallen down on the job before? Orphans believe you got to be perfect. They look for perfection. There was only one perfection, and that was Jesus Christ. Are you with me now? Lord, there's so many things. I'm telling you, just a whole covey of quail just jumped up right there and about eight scriptures to go with it. I can't do that. Orphans are fueled by spiritual ambition. Selfish ambition. They're fueled by it. They got to achieve something. If I can just achieve something to get my name on it, now I feel successful. Sons feel no need to prove anything. Sons feel no need to prove anything. Remember when Jesus was on the cross? If thou be the Son of God... Get off this cross. Save yourself and us also. He opened not his word. Sons feel no need to prove anything. While orphans are fueled by selfish ambition. Whatever, Bill Johnson quote here, whatever is gained through selfish ambition, you will have to keep alive through selfish ambition. But whatever is gained through promotion of the Lord, He'll sustain for you. There's no work involved in that. The blessing of the Lord maketh one rich and addeth no sorrow to it. If the sorrow is coming from the blessing, God never sent the blessing. And just like He said, we give selfish ambition all kind of spiritual titles. We take honor and we, 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 we take that word out of selfish ambition and we, we Christianize it and we say it's, justifi- it's justification. This is justice for who, you know, who I am to the body of Christ. If we would just take our place, we wouldn't have to demand honor. Honor would be there. Are you with me now? I feel like the Father... Man, I could, I, I just felt, come right here, Ken, I, I'm done. I just felt like this morning, even when I got here, you know, and, and Dusty standing there in them shores <laughs> at the house of God. And we've come a long ways. People say, you know what, well, we're we losing the reverence for God's house. I believe in reverence in God's house. I, I, I can tell you right now. I'm probably not going to preach in those shores. But if we was in Hawaii, we'd be preaching in shorts. I'm telling you this, friend. What I found out, God's not looking at them shorts. He's looking at something way deeper inside of there. 
You remember when Jesse brought out Eliab, the first son? He was tall. Had his shirt tail packed in. His gig line was straight. Samuel said, my gosh, that right there is a king right there. Look the way he's carrying himself. Look the way he's carrying himself. And he went to reach out and pour that oil on him. And the father stopped him right there. He said, hold on. He said, I don't look at the way, I don't look at men the way you look at them. He said, I know that his gig line's straight. I see that his shirt tail's packed in. I know that his abs are chiseled. I know that he's tall. He's very handsome. Look the way he carries himself. But I'm telling you, I'm looking at something far beyond that. I'm looking at a heart. And he's not a leader. He's not a king. There was a young ruddy boy with his shirt tail unpacked out there twirling in the night on the backside of the desert. Didn't have the nice gig line. Shirt tail unpacked probably in tattered shorts and sandals. But he was dancing in the night. And Samuel said, Jesse, do you got one more boy? Not only that, most theologians believe that Jesse had David through an affair because David said in Psalms 51, through sin and iniquity, I was conceived. Jesse said, I got one more, but man, golly, for surely this dude right here can't be the one. For surely he can't be it. He brings him in. And when Samuel lays eyes on him, he says, for surely this is the king of Israel. He wasn't concerned about his clothes. He had found a love relationship with a father on the backside of that desert. And there was something in his heart. I'm telling you, Father wants to put something in our heart that'll take us in the days ahead in his sonship. Sons are not limited to males. It just like just like she's a son, she can cope with being a bride. I got to understand how to be in a bride. You understand what I'm saying? But he wants to put something in our heart to drop all of this labor and work from just religious things. Just like I said a couple Wednesday nights ago, you know, we, we take preachers, you know, man, there ain't no way that a preacher should be able to take off on a weekend or, or go fishing or something. Hey, I'm man just like you man. We first started out in ministry. I remember if we missed church or whatever, people. This, this and my tell them we had this couple called. I, I just, I, I hope it, Lord. I just hope y'all, y'all okay. <laughs> we had backslid or something. I missed church on Sunday. Now I believe if we're family, listen to this. I'm gonna throw the other side of the coin in here. If we family, we're accountable. Grant tells me, Daddy, I'll be home at. Whatever, you know what I'm saying? What time did y'all get home last night? It was late, wasn't it? He stayed out to one o'clock last night. You know, he's playing ball, but he's in the house of God. He's asleep right there, but he's in the house of the Lord. <laughs> We're accountable to one another. We let one another know, hey, you know what? You know what, Matt, I'm not going to be there tonight. Or, Pastor, I'm not going to be there tonight. We're going for some R&R. I'll be all right. God bless you. Now, you called me four weeks in a row, and I'm going to say, listen here, man, you backslid. Get your butt in the house of God. God, I'm telling you, He just wants us to be free. 
just to live life who you are. I sometimes go in that, I, I, wear, I wear shorts pretty much Monday through Friday because it's hot. You know what I'm saying? And I go down to Christian school and, you know, and I told Catherine, I said, man, ain't none of these other preachers walking in here in shorts and all. I, I'm telling you this, I just, I'm going to be who I am. He knew who I was when he called me. He knew, he knew everything about me and yet he still chose me. I'm telling you, there's freedom in just you being the liberty to be who you are. And if you'll be who you are, that's who God called you to be. And I'm going to live as a son free from all of that pressure to conform to whatever image you think that's got to be there of a preacher. I shave two days a week. On Saturday night or Sunday morning and on Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. But I can tell you this, I may look scruffy and be in a pair of shorts, but I can manifest heaven if I have to. And Father wants us to live just in that freedom, knowing that everything He has, we have access to. If I'm standing in Harvey's and I'm faced with a dilemma that somebody needs healing, I got access to it. If I know somebody that needs finances, I got access. I got an unlimited bank account. I don't know what you got. But I'm telling you, I'm going to learn how to live with an unlimited bank account. A lot of times, if God spoke to us and said, "and said, uh, Jason, I want you to go to, I want you to go to Ireland for six weeks," the first thing we would look at is how much money to determine what He said if we could go do it or not. But listen, if God said to go to Ireland, you don't have to look at your bank account to determine if you could go or not because He's got everything covered. Stand with me. I'm going to pray with you before I leave. Father, I just pray. I feel the love of God right now in this room. And joy. Listen, what I'm after, I want joy to be in this house like never before. Are you with me now? Well, we could do life together. We could laugh and love. Laugh. It's okay to have fun. I'm learning how to have fun. I'm telling you, I'm kind of a tight guy. If you know me, real person. I don't let my hair down very much. We got to, well, my hair's done let down off the front. <laughs> Father, I pray right now this morning, just seal us deep in our heart, your love for us. God, I thank you. Lord, I've been blown away by you ever since I was a teenager. I love you with all my heart, God. Yesterday we went to play ball and I took Grant. We left about 7 o'clock. I said, son, don't get me wrong. I love for you to do good. I think there's a pride in me. But I said, regardless of what happens, you're my son and I love him. I don't care if he ever picks up another baseball. I told him, I guarantee you this, if he was a stick collector... I'd be the proudest stick collector dad you ever seen. And I'd post them all over. I'm telling you, that's the way your father is about you this morning, friend. Listen to me. He's so wild about you. He is not displeased. He longs to wipe this religion off of us. It feels like we got to do so much to make it. 
Listen, he knew we couldn't make it. He knew we couldn't. If you could do it, Jesus would have never came. But he knew we couldn't, so he sent Jesus. Listen to me. If you can bear to hear this is what we say. Sometimes if it's going to get done right, i got to do it myself. Listen to me. God knew you couldn't do it, so he did it himself. He came, left heaven, came in the form of a man, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus now walking the earth. God humbled himself so low that he had to learn how God, Elohim, creator of everything, had, the creator of everything, had to learn how to talk, had to learn how to walk. And he walked the face of this earth for 33 and a half years and he gave his own life on the cross and he paved the way so that you don't have to cross the T's and dot the I's. All you got to have is your heart turned towards him and say, God, I love you with everything. I may stumble, I may fall, I may do this, but I'm 100% in love with you. If you'll keep that fashion and your face like that, whatever's got a hold of you will lose its hold. We can make it. Now listen, I'm done right here. You know, I got a long closing sometimes. But think about this. God, the ones who are not even worthy, one of them sitting at that table had already sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. But Jesus came to put a face on the invisible God. The one that should have been served pulled the towel off and he began to wash the feet of men and he modeled to us at that moment the high place is for a servant church if God gives us something great I'm telling you it's for it to be served we're going to serve a community but we're not going to serve it to get our identity or get our fix from that we're going to serve from the place knowing that we came from God, we're going to God, and we're going to serve from the place of knowing that He's given all things in our hands. Father, I love you with all my heart this morning. If you're in this place right now, listen to me, and you don't know Jesus, it's a simple thing as this right here. You close your eyes and you just look at Him. And you say, Jesus, I confess to you that I'm not right with you. But today, I accept what you did for me on the cross. And this day right here, I pray that you would forgive me and I will serve you all the days of my life. Friend, if you pray that prayer right there, you are born again. Now, Father, I pray over everyone standing in this building, including myself. Father, fill our hearts with such love. God, displace every bit of this orphan thinking. Totally free us to live as free. Free. There's no law against love. And God, that's what we want to move in love. I speak blessing over every house in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Would you give the Thomases a great God bless you? It's good to see them back in the house of God. Been down in Miami. Uh, before we leave, before we leave, we want to pray for Tyler. Can we pray for him? Is he back in the hospital? Is, is cancer back? We want to pray for him right now. How old is he now? Seven. Would you just touch your neighbor's shoulder right there and we're going to bind together as a family and we're going to pray and believe God for Tyler right now.
Father, we just thank you for your love for Tyler, your mercy and your grace over him. Father, we just thank you the work that you've begun in him, you're going to complete it. And Father, we rest in that today, God. Father, we don't, we don't rise up in fear knowing, God, that you hold all things in your hands, Father. And Father, we today, as just as I read out of your word in this house, we serve a God with an unlimited realm. And Father, today we reach our hands in the heavenlies and we declare Tyler completely made whole right now by the power of your spirit, God. Father, I send a healing word over him right now. I speak encouragement and I speak faith into this family right now. In the name of Jesus, Father, we thank you. We thank you for touching him right now. Father, I command every tumor in his body to go right now. I command every cell, to, that, that every cancerous cell to just dissipate right now. In the name of Jesus Christ, Father. I thank you for total health in that child. In Jesus' name, we declare he shall live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. We thank you, Father, for that right now. In Jesus' mighty name. 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 Father, we receive, Lord. We receive your love right now. We receive your love over us right now. We receive your love over us right now. I just, I just want you to hold your hands. I really feel that Zephaniah 3.17, the Bible says the Lord dances and rejoices over us with singing and gladness. I just feel the Lord just really twirling over us this morning, really dancing over us with his goodness. Lord, dissipate every lie we believed about you being some iron-fisted man in the heavenlies. Father, we thank you for your love. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen and amen. Give the Lord a great God bless you. Hug your neighbor. Shake your neighbor's hand. We'll see you here Wednesday night. Amen.